Hi, my name is Isabella Johnston, the Intern Whisperer. Our show is brought to you by Employers for Change, and today's tip of the week is about name bias. Names are important. It's important to call a person by the name they wish to be identified. We need to remember that. So making sure that we're pronouncing it properly is is just really critical, or addressing them perhaps it's by a nickname instead of the full name. Name bias is the tendency when people have to judge or prefer people with certain types of names, typically names that are of Anglo origin. So this is one of the most pervasive examples of unconscious bias. And it's always used in the hiring process for the large part. The numbers bear it out. One study found that white names receive significantly more callbacks for interviews than black names. Another study found that Asian last names are 28% less likely to receive a callback for an interview compared to Anglo last names. So how can we avoid name bias? It can be avoided if you omit the candidate's name and personal information, like email, phone number, and address from the application materials. You can either do this by assigning candidates a number or having an unbiased third-party team member omit this information from the hiring process. And that way, it helps to bring an interv- a candidate in to interview in a fair way. This will ensure that hiring teams are selecting candidates based on their skills and experiences without the influence of irrelevant personal information. Welcome to the Intern Whisper. Our show is all about the future of work and innovation. So I want to welcome to the Intern Whisper is Rachel Knipe. She is the founder of Women in Tech and Entrepreneurship. She's the VP of Marketing and Sales with RevStar. She combines over a decade of experience in sales, marketing, and operations, and is a devoted humanitarian and community advocate, leveraging her expertise to spearhead pivotal initiatives. She's the founder of and CEO of Women in Tech. I know I said that earlier, but I'm stressing it again. <laughs> and she heads up the organization to dismantle, I love this, financial barriers and economically empower women. Rachel's impactful work has earned accolades and includes the Tampa Bay NO Fire Award, Deanne Dewey Roberts Emerging Leader Finalist, and TBBJ, which is Tampa Bay Business Journal, Businesswoman of the Year nominee. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. I'm totally humbled to be here with you, Isabella. Oh, thank you so much. I'm very excited to have you as a guest on the show. I've been watching you from afar. You know, I know you were in Tampa. You used to be with Synapse. I know you've moved on, but, you know, Synapse is near and dear to all of us for a number of reasons. Um, I like to kick off the show and say, tell us about yourself using only five words. And just so our listeners know, we did do a little bit of planning so um, I can just prompt you. So the first one is generous. Yeah, this this is a really hard question. Yeah. A great exercise in self-reflection and what's really important to us as individuals, right? And generosity is one that's big for me. It's very mm-hmm. near and dear to my heart. Um, I am a Methodist Christian, which is not something that comes up a lot, mm. but um, you know, my faith does guide me in in that generosity. But I've also benefited quite a lot from the generosity of this community, even recently in setting up women in tech and entrepreneurship. So it's something that I'm ardent about 
embodying and repaying and whether that's generosity with my time and mentorship efforts or whether it's generosity um, with my financial commitments. Um, I sponsor a small scholarship for a nursing program through College of Health at USF through the Leadership and Innovation Forum of Tampa. My mom got her nursing degree when I was a kid and I watched her hustle and she was able to do that because mm -hmm. of a scholarship. So I'm quite confident that that scholarship probably doesn't even cover a full semester of textbooks, but yeah. it's something. Um, and I, I fully personally fund women in tech and entrepreneurship out of my own pocket. So generosity is a, a big one for me. I'm hoping to be able to do more outrageously generous things uh, in the future as I continue to grow. Oh, I just learned something that was, um, that's very sweet and very dear to me is the fact that you, you know, shared that you're also a Christian. So am I, I usually will explain it as I'm a Jesus girl with a potty mouth. Yeah, me too. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> yeah, feel free. You know, we'll be in the same club together. Um, because what people should always see is Christ in us that's radiating out of us, right? Not yeah. being concerned about a word. A word is has no power unless we use it in a negative way. Unless we give it power, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm loving you even more now. All right. So ambitious. Why ambitious? Oh, this is so fun. Um, so I grew up in a, a very strict household. And, and one of the rules that we had is that we were forbidden from having can't in our vocabulary. Oh, um, that's interesting. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, you just didn't say I can't do something. And it it reframed the way that I thought about what I could do mm -hmm. and, you know, how I could do something, even though it might be audacious or it might be really difficult or it might seem really far out of reach. And mm -hmm. so um, that ambition is something that's been hardwired into me from a very young age. It's something that made me believe even when people told me that it was a wild idea that I could start a nationwide movement to resource women without ever charging a single dollar in membership dues or event fees. Um, it's what made me agree to join Project Afghan Relief Fund um, in a situation that felt very hopeless and helpless um, to believe that we could do something, uh, even if it wasn't enough. Yeah. So ambition's another big one for me. Mm. Relentless. Now we talked about this word and it is not negative to either of us. Let's, let's talk about relentless. Why? Yeah. So uh, as I talk about this word, I want to give a quick shout out to a friend, role model, mentor, and former boss, Kashima. She and I had such a disagreement about the nature of this word. Um, it's a word that I love to describe myself with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And, and it does sometimes carry a negative connotation, but I have um, been kicking down doors for such a long time. And, you know, when I think about the kind of combination of characteristics that have allowed me to be successful in difficult situations, it's persistence, it's tenacity, it's grit, um, and sometimes outright stubbornness, right? Mm -hmm. And And to me, nothing captures all of those qualities better than the word relentless. Yeah. And you made a very good point earlier. It's also a knowing, knowing your direction yeah. and being committed to that direction. I think sometimes we overlook the value of commitment. 
we can be, you know, charmed by charisma and ideas. Um, and oftentimes we take for granted things like commitment and follow through and execution. And to me, relentlessness really captures the essence of that too. Mm -hmm. Don't you think that as um, Christians in other countries that where that's not a faith that's recognized, they have to be relentless? Yeah, that that's very true. And and an experience it's not exclusive to Christians in those countries, mm -hmm. right? There are a lot of countries where religious persecution of all different shapes yeah. and stripes is is very prevalent. Um people, you know, burying religious texts, um, you know, having to hide their identities. And um it it really makes me appreciate while we may still have challenges here mm -hmm. and and everyone has obstacles in different ways and different things to overcome um we're truly fortunate to live in a world where we are able to be safe in our identity and mm -hmm. not everyone feels that right mm -hmm. there are still people who struggle to feel safe in yeah. their identity every day and so i do love what you're doing with unconscious bias and just the crucial work that you're doing to make thank a more you. equitable space. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I think that relentless also describes every person that is, you know, behind us and going forward as to if you have something that you're passionate about, you have to be relentless. You, you have, have to be. be. Yeah. Yeah, and it almost comes naturally when you're mm -hmm. passionate about it too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I... I have friends all the time that ask me, why are you doing this? You're working crazy numbers of hours at, at two jobs. And it just, I can't even compute why I wouldn't do it. Um, mm -hmm. And that's that passion, right? But passion mm -hmm. fuels that relentless yeah. spirit. Yeah. Because if somebody describes you as passionately relentless, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. it is a good thing. <laughs> so I hope that this, I know I can't be at the meeting tonight, but I hope that this is like part of the vocabulary that you begin to use when you open up the meeting tonight. Uh, passionately well, relentless. We're doing a rebrand for the word relentless. I think so. <laughs> we need to, we need to. So your next word was accountable. And I love this word. They have an impression that the word accountable is something that's negative and it's not. It is absolutely a positive word because somebody is helping you to make sure you're walking the right path. That they're going to be there to have your back that, you know, we always have to answer to somebody. Yeah. Accountability and integrity for me in many ways go hand in hand. Right. Um, but accountability I think is broad. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I think about the underpinnings of a very successful business venture, mm -hmm. um, someone who is personally successful, a relationship that's successful. Yeah. If you step back and take a look, what you might find is that there is a culture of high accountability. Mm -hmm. People are immaculate in their word. They do what they say they're going to do. Mm -hmm. um, people feel a commitment to honor uh, one another, right? And mm -hmm that is all kind of wrapped up in this notion of accountability, mm -hmm. not just that I'm going to do the right thing, um, but that I'm actually going to follow through on all of the commitments that I've made. And I'm going to own the results. Mm -hmm. If I have made a decision that didn't give us the best results, I'm not going to point fingers elsewhere. I'm not going to blame market conditions. Um, I'm not going to say we just didn't have 
the right people or I didn't have the mm-hmm. right partner. It, There's it no excuses. Me. There are no excuses, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because the person that chooses, and it's a choice, to be accountable knows that they can make change. Yes. And I'm glad that you said that because it it brings something up for me that I heard earlier this year, and I know I'll misattribute the quote, um, but it's the author of The Power Code. Mm. Um, she also wrote The Confidence Code. She was a, a BBC reporter for a time, uh, and she's just, she's fabulous. And she has been doing this really impactful research where she's uncovered that women are uncomfortable with the concept of power. Their perception of power is power over people. And they mm-hmm. don't really want that, right? Caddy K. Yes. Claire Caddy Chipman. K. She's lovely. Her research has kind of uncovered this perception of, of power in this negative light, right? We've talked about a negative perception of you know, relentlessness and accountability, right? Well, this is a uniquely feminine perception that power is about power over other people. Mm. And she's trying to give power a rebrand and reframe it as power to get good things done and Mm -hmm. to make positive change, right? People who are highly accountable or highly empowered, right? They believe that they have ownership over the results that they're producing and that they can get things done. Yeah. So I love that you, you said that. Yeah, thank you. I I think that accountability is is truly the thing that does push things forward, like what you were saying. And if you don't have that, that's you know, some people can lose weight, but the accountability, knowing that there's somebody at the gym waiting for them or you know, whatever that they're going to text them, did you go to the gym today? You know, like that is an added incentive. And it doesn't mean that they have to be visible. They can also be seen, but they may not be seen in person, right? You can always, we have a whole phone that allows us to connect with people in ways that we never knew we could. Yeah. Yeah. Accountability. Mm. Okay. This is super, super good. And I am I wrote this book this down because so I'm going to go look at it. <laughs> I'm oh, going to so check bad. it out. So one of your last words, hyphenated, we'll make it intellectually curious. Yes. Intellectually yeah. curious. Um, so always have been, mm-hmm. but I, I do attribute a lot of this. I was to my background. I know we're going to get into that, so I, I won't spoil it too much. But when I was a little girl, I wanted to grow up to be a research professor. I knew you were going to say that. <gasps> How I do knew. you know? <laughs> well, you have a vocabulary that's incredible. I was an English teacher and I'm like listening to you and I'm going, wow, she, she has a great <laughs> vocabulary. She reads all the time. She actually implements these words into her everyday language. So I could tell that. But as you were talking about some of these books, I went, she thinks like a scientist. So I see you Thank as you. a researcher. <laughs> Thank you. I, I have such a soft spot in my heart for research. And, you know, I, I still half jokingly half not tell my partner that I'm just going to go back and get my PhD and mm-hmm. cloister myself away with my research. But um, I, I'm so glad that I had that classical research training yeah. because it really has made me very analytical and has taught me to ask very good questions and, mm-hmm. and, you know, question asking alone. Yeah. is important. Yeah. It's important. Uh, you know, I, I lead sales and marketing. If I want to understand our customers and what's important to them mm-hmm. at RevStar, I need to ask really good questions 
when we think about business operations, we need to be curious about why are we getting the results that we're getting? Why are we doing things mm -hmm. the way that we're doing them? Um, and a, a lot of that came to me by way of that classical research training. Mm. Um, and, and when we look at larger social patterns as well, and some of the things that we seek to address with women in tech and entrepreneurship, these are complex issues with no simple answers. And if you're not very curious about why things are the way that they are mm -hmm. and really squirreling out good quality, credible information, it's hard to have high intention, high impact strategies, mm -hmm. right? So um, that's a big one for me, but I'm also an avid bookworm and I'm going to say something will not endear me at all, but it was a huge teacher's pet as a kid. <laughs> I was an old soul. Yeah. I just got along better with um, adults than, than kids most of my life. And mm -hmm. so um, some of the benefit of that is, is learning to think really critically and yeah. think at an advanced level sometimes. Yeah, I totally agree. I had found this article and it truly was, it was said, think like a scientist. And I went, you know, people don't, I, I reached out to the gentleman that wrote the article and I said, is it okay if I publish this? I know you may have it published somewhere else. I don't want to mess with your metrics here, but I said, this was really insightful and that intellectually curiosity that we need to have, all of those things, it's like, we need to be four-year-olds and really consider, but why? And the two-year-old question, why, why, why? I mean, those are good questions. They are, and the world beats that out of us, doesn't yeah. it? Um, mm -hmm. Even if it doesn't intend to, mm -hmm. we're not taught to ask good questions. We're taught to give the right answer. Yes. And you look at these social experiments where they get people who are highly intelligent to give wrong answers mm -hmm. because they are reading, you know, social cues in the room that they're giving the wrong answer, mm -hmm. even though it's the right answer. Mm -hmm. um, so we are, we're just programmed from a very young age to give answers and not to ask questions and mm -hmm. it doesn't serve us well. So I'll, mm -hmm. I'll share, we have um, a new hire who's a, a dear friend of mine also from the community and one of the things that made me most excited about recruiting him into our business at RevStar was the volume of questions that he asked. Yeah, right. He asked the best questions to the point where I, I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit this, but I sometimes get a little bit annoyed because right? it's such a good question. <laughs> I'm like, why haven't I asked myself this before? <laughs> Yeah. But it is just, I, I can't understate enough how important that skill is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, totally. So where did you go to school? How did you get to where you are now? You can take us on any path that you want. Okay. So this is a good question and uh, I'll, I'll keep it brief, but but try to mm -hmm. get all we the We have a lot of good stuff to talk about. <laughs> we do. We do. So I, I mentioned earlier in the show that I uh, really wanted to be a research professor when I grew mm -hmm. up. And uh, I, I mentioned off the show, you know, I moved out young. Um, I, I had some help. You know, my mom was um, a single mom and mm -hmm. she went back to school not once, but twice while wow. I was growing up. She could have a PhD right now. And she waited tables the entire time. Um, to, to pay the bills. Sometimes she worked multiple jobs, two and three jobs to pay the bills. And even as she was doing all that, talk about generosity, she did um, some prepaid college for me, which was tremendously helpful. Wow. And I had scholarships, but I still had to work. Mm 
mm-hmm. to pay the bills. Um, so I, I worked in hospitality and I entered school with one concept of money and I left school with a very different yeah. concept of money and the goals that I had, right? Um, so as I matured through that four-year degree process, um, I did really well in the research space. I did a few talks and posters at national conventions. And I also left with, you know, this heart-wrenching reality that I was probably not going to be able to do another four years. And in a PhD block program, you can't take outside work. It's no. not even legal to do. You have to work in your research lab um, and the kinds of programs that I would be pursuing at that time. And I I just couldn't fathom a way that I was going to do that without taking on a huge amount of student debt. Mm-hmm. I was going to start out at about $75,000 a year, which isn't a bad number. Mm-hmm. It certainly sounded like a good number at 16, right? Yeah. But as an adult who, you know, paid all of my own living expenses, I knew that with the student debt on top of that, and that being a four-year horizon nearly to the age that I am now, um, I, I would have been, well, I would have been like 26 to 28, yeah. somewhere in there. Um, I was not going to be able to build the kind of life where I could take care of my mom, where I could have financial freedom and independence. And also, I realized I was probably going to have to move somewhere where another professor who had tenure had either, you know, um, decided to move away or not to be morbid, but had kicked the bucket because those positions are very few and far between, right? So um, I made the choice to go into the business world and it took me a really long time to figure out what I was going to do or that I even had all these transferable skills. Um, I did not realize that working in hospitality had actually given me a lot of really good skills. I did not realize that my research background in psychology had actually given me a lot of really great skills. Um, So I, but I was really lucky. One of our graduate assistants knew that many of us would find ourselves in this situation, made us all get LinkedIn's. Mm-hmm. Um, as a requirement of one of the research programs that we were in. And I got recruited off of LinkedIn to go sell copiers, which is every millennial girl's dream, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, right. <laughs> so I I had some reluctance about this, but my he eventually became my sponsor. But the gentleman who recruited me in to work um, was a regional president at the company. And he had a very similar family upbringing to mine, um, similar challenges with opportunities. And he had shared with me that um, this would be a great way for me to explore a lot of different industries, mm-hmm. to build my resume, to get a great skill set. Um, and he was right. And, you know, I also had a very supportive community of girlfriends who said, I know that you're not excited about selling copiers, but do you realize that Sarah Blakely, self made, I don't know. Is she a oh, billionaire yeah. now? Yeah. Started, well, way over that. Way over that. She started out selling copiers. And not only did she start out in the same space, she did it in the same town as me with the same people. Mm-hmm. The founders of the company that I worked at were the predecessors um, that she had worked with mm-hmm. initially before they sold their first company. So that was all really motivating and inspiring. On the flip side of that, I was dealing with 
um, what I would call rampant sexism. Mm. I had um, some quote unquote prospective clients who would waste my time bringing me, you know, over to go through proposals four different times with four different markups only to call me and tell me that the deal was mine if I would go to dinner with them. Um, I had a branch manager who told me that I should, um, hopefully I don't get myself in trouble with this and hopefully he's not with them anymore, but he told me that I should, um, get a boob job with my first commission check because I would sell more. And, you know, I'm, I'm established in my career, but we're not talking about the eighties or the nineties. No, this is in recent history. Things like this are still happening. Yeah. Um, so from, from there, I had a lot of good experiences, very good sponsor and mentor, but there was always this undercurrent of something not quite being right. Um, I had someone handpick me out of the organization to help evangelize this robotic, um, task automation product. And, uh, you know, he knew that I would be helping evangelize this across, you know, 30 to 40 branches at the time, the entire company footprint. And he said to me one day that a young single woman should not be traveling for work. And it was benevolent sexism, but it's still sexism. I don't know Mm -hmm. how you expect me to do my job and educating a sales force of 300 people Mm -hmm. on this product and showing up at their Mm -hmm. client meetings and helping them learn the deal strategy behind this. If you don't want me to travel, they're never going to trust me to do this, right? We have to build relationships. Um, But that got me into channel marketing and channel sales and sales education and gave me the opportunity to spread my wings in a different way. And so from there, I dove more directly into strategic marketing. I um, got recruited from some Tampa Bay Chamber involvement uh, by a defense contractor that wanted to get more into the commercial sector. Mm -hmm. And they had some really interesting high-tech products that they were moving um, with open source intelligence. So I joined them for several years and wonderful people had a great time, had a beautiful corner office, um, had a great compensation package, still, still adore them, got the opportunity to serve with project Afghan relief fund through them. But I also found myself still the party planner, still in the office at two o'clock in the morning, supervising the holiday decorators Mm -hmm. while everyone else had gone home. Right. Um, which, you know, I, I don't know how versed in marketing most of the audience here will be, but I, I'll tell you that Christmas trees are not part of marketing. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so that led me to get into the nonprofit space. Um, after working in the humanitarian space for a little bit, I realized that it's really important work and I'm very passionate about it, but it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. So uh, we were able to get about a hundred people out after the fall of Kabul, but that, you know, is, is relative to the tens of thousands of people who needed help. Yeah. And um, that really wasn't a sustainable journey for me emotionally. It, it burnt me out, but I still wanted to find a way to do something good. Um, and I had been a board member with Synapse on the impact board. And I had the very good fortune that Brian Kornfeld 
brought me into the team at Synapse. Did you know that he has been a guest on my show? Oh, uh, I, I remember us going back and well, forth. We have like 280 episodes now. <laughs> yeah, but I had him and I, I went back and I was looking and I went, oh my gosh, when you were there, we were talking about his, his episode, which was actually, I think it was last year. And this year it's Lauren. Lauren's been on the show this year. I listened to Lauren's. She's fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. Make I'll it a great day. And find, I'll have to backtrack and find uh, Brian's. Um, I had a wonderful time working for Synapse. It, a lot of people don't realize that the the staff is a full time staff yeah. of about four or five people right. um, that put on super major events, very high impact events. Um, you know, thousands of people attend Synapse Summit and Synapse Orlando. And just recently, this past week, the Meta Center Global Week. That is right. Yes. A bigger celebration. Yes. It's like the South by Southwest of Orlando. It right? is. It is. It's it's very, very cool. And it's very high impact. You know, we're connecting people from all over, um, founders, co-founders, venture mm-hmm. capitalists, um, People are hiring their first employees or their thousandth employees at these events. People are pitching and getting funding for their business ideas. Mm -hmm. And that really lit the fire in me. I knew that I wanted to do something Mm -hmm. community-oriented. And so I I did um, a few years on the board, a full year on the staff, and I took a position with Revstar for equity um, working with my my partner and my life partner, um, the CEO there to help him scale. What's uh, his name? Ken Pamela. Okay, a little shout out for Ken. A little shout out for Ken. I super appreciate him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he asked me to come in and help him with scaling his sales and marketing and offered me the flexibility to grow women in tech and entrepreneurship mm-hmm. at the same time. So he has, Paranan, been one of our biggest supporters for women in tech and entrepreneurship. He's made the whole effort possible in, in a way that um, would have been much, much more difficult <laughs> without him from sponsoring our Orlando chapter launch alongside Full Sail um, to, I jokingly call him my travel sponsor because he <laughs> will oftentimes go with me to chapter events. Um so he's he's really wonderful. And so that kind of leads me to where I'm at today. Women in Tech and Entrepreneurship has four chapters now. We're working on launching our Jacksonville chapter. That's unbelievable. We're working on launching university chapters, um, starting with USF, but definitely interested to expand um, in the other markets that we have um, big sister chapters, so to speak. So creating that um, flow of ideas, interdisciplinary collaboration, mentorship opportunities. Um, I'd I'd like to say opportunities for our senior members to bestow some wisdom on our student members. But what I expect will happen is that... It's called peer and reverse mentoring. It is peer and reverse. That's what I built everything around is peer and reverse mentoring and employers for change. You and I are like so on the same page. I I just love what you're doing. (laughs) I really do. And and so that's my hopes for that program, right? Um, And we've had women in New York and Toronto and Atlanta reaching out, asking us when we're going to scale into their markets. So we're laying the foundations. We're about to launch our steering committee. 
Um, so that's really exciting. It is, it's our board basically, um, but it's our trial run for our board. So we are getting the roles refined. This first wave of people that have helped us get here are going to step in positions where they're able to set the entire legacy and future of the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're starting to recruit for that. And then on the RevStar side of the house, we're starting to play in the machine learning space Mm -hmm. and like large data analytic kind of models. So really exciting things going on on all fronts of the career now. But Mm -hmm. if you had asked me back when I graduated with my bachelor's in psychology that was worth $10 an hour, what I would be doing now, I don't think I could have guessed this. No, no, we never can. And I'll just formally I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. So let me know how I can be of assistance. I do have background in nonprofit management. So used to work for the Nature Conservancy. You know, I've worked uh, in Rollins College and Foundation Relations. So parallel to education, it's the same amount of time, 25 years in nonprofit as well as in education. So happy to help wherever you need support. We'll have to talk about that. Two yeah. of the big goals that we have for those audacious goals. I love yes, them. the audacious yeah. goals. Um, so one is to launch a foundation to scholarship women who are pursuing micro credentials mm-hmm. um, because we think that's really um, going to be super impactful to economic empowerment, mm-hmm. to the future of the workforce, to meeting the needs that most of our corporate partners are going to have in the near future. Um, and then the flip side of that is starting a foundation to help women who are limited in their friends and family round um, as they're raising capital, right? Because okay, I want to apply for all those things yes, too. Yes, please. Yeah. I, yeah. I'd love to talk to you more yeah. about those and, yeah. and how we're trying to structure those because I, I know I'm humble enough to know what I don't know. Oh, yeah. I, I get where you are. <laughs> I, I totally get where you are. Well, we're going to move over here to another question because this was good stuff. And um Favorite quote that you live by? Uh, Changes from day to day. Uh, My my usual answer to this, and I I won't attribute it because I'm not sure who actually said it. It's attributed to a lot of different people, Mm -hmm. but it's we're put on this earth to serve one another. And I genuinely believe that. Um, But the one that's been more salient for me recently, I attribute to my mother. Mm. (laughs) Growing up, I was a rigid perfectionist. I, you know wanted everything to be just so. And um, I think for a lot of high achievers, perfectionism can get in the way of maximizing opportunities and realizing Mm -hmm. full potential and having the most possible impact, right? So uh, she would tell me all the time that a a hard-earned B was more valuable than an easy A. That's very true. It's so true. And it's always stuck with me. And when I'm having those moments of perfectionism, where maybe I'm not leaping out of the nest the way that I need to, or maybe I'm letting the dauntingness of some goal that I have get the better of me. Mm -hmm. I remember that it doesn't have to be perfect. I just have to go out and do it Mm -hmm. and give it my best shot and, and try my all. And you know, learning some lessons the hard mm-hmm. way is, is better than sitting on the sidelines and taking the easy grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A grade is not, I, I used to teach middle and high school English. So I taught at risk as well as standard and then honors level classes. Um, so one of the things that I learned is that somebody C 
didn't define them. It was really that they spent a lot of time really knowing and understanding. It could have been for different reasons, language barriers. It could be for something that was an intellectual. It could be because the home life didn't allow, but it didn't define them. Their work ethics are the things that I, I couldn't see, but I saw in the output. So, you know, I think that a grade, it might show somewhat how hard somebody works, but that's not always just like you said, to your point, it can be just somebody that it came to easily. So really it's more of what's, what did they get out of that education? Yeah. What kind of character did it build and yeah. and beyond education too, right? Um, when I think about an event or a new program for women in tech and entrepreneurship, it's better to do it and bring the resources and not have it be absolutely perfect than mm -hmm. it is to push it off, not move quickly. And so part of this, this mantra and this attitude has allowed me to move very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And nine times out of 10, I'm delivering a much higher quality than, than I think I am, whether mm -hmm. that's in my RevStar career or, you know, and what I provide to the community, the feedback that I get is, is that I am a much harsher critic and self-evaluator, mm -hmm. right? And and I think a lot of high achievers are prone to that, yes. right? So the the lesson for me is that, you know, even though I may be fearful that I'm not going to do well at something right. or look perfect at something, that I, I still need to get out there and do it. Mm-hmm. Totally agree with you. What are you most grateful for? So many things, mm. so many things. It is very hard to narrow it down. I'm certainly grateful for my partner. He's already gotten a shout out and for my uh, mom and my family. Um, but I've, you know, I've just been incredibly floored by the way that people have turned out to support women in tech and entrepreneurship. Totally unexpected. Um, even in this conversation today, mm -hmm. right? And I'm I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for community and for the way that we're all banding together around mm -hmm. a shared mission. Um, so Michelle Moore and Lindsay She's delightful. Murphy, they're incredible, incredible forces of nature. They're Orlando chapter chairs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, had Michelle not approached me, she came all the way to Tampa. Mm -hmm. for a women in tech and entrepreneurship event and because she she couldn't find what she needed here mm -hmm. um but not only did she come all the way there she followed through mm -hmm. she told me that she was interested in doing this with me in Orlando and here we are 5 or 6 months um out from launching the Orlando chapter I'll be going to a sold out women in tech and entrepreneurship event tonight that mm -hmm. Michelle and Lindsay plan um, Lindsay, huge responsibilities, very involved in the community, um, has taken a, a ton of her time and her resources to help promote and connect women. I mean, Lindsay Murphy, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's been a guest on my show too. Uh, she's, she is a <laughs> she's amazing, right? They're amazing. So yeah. I'm so grateful for them. I'm grateful for mm -hmm. all of our chapter chairs yeah. across the state from Fort Lauderdale to St. Pete and Tampa and our new student officers. Mm-hmm. I would like to have Michelle. On. So I did send her a note, just so you know, yeah. said, I'd like to have you as a guest on the show. So you can let her know that when you go to the meeting I tonight. I will let her yeah. know. She'll yeah. Have, oh, she'll love that. She'll yeah. be great. Very articulate also. Yeah. And and great, really interesting career. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you want to be remembered for? 
Um, so for me, mentorship, sponsorship has played a really big role in my life. And I, I oftentimes find myself thinking about people who've had a good impact on me. This is where I get away from the big audacious goal, right? I don't want my name to go down in some history book. What I really want is to know that I've had that kind of impact on someone else mm-hmm. and to know, you know, that one day down the road, there are other people who think back on me and how I have tried to help them and their journeys in the same way that I think of my mentors and sponsors. So, you know what that is? Impact legacy. Yeah. That's what we all want to be. We want to know that we did deliver something that's just a legacy that lives on and it just transverses around the world. Yeah. I I want to have a positive impact. I think we all do. Sure. I hope that we all do. Yeah. Most people, yeah. Well, we're going to take a moment to acknowledge our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and we'll be right back. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. Now, what does 2030 look like? We're here. Ooh, it's only okay. five years because we don't count 2030 and we're not counting this year. So there's just like five years. Five in there. years. It's fast. And it's it's like compounding interest, right? Mm-hmm. It's happening so fast. Um, so several things. I I have already seen with our clients at Revstar. We are looking at take, for instance, in construction, large data sets and apply machine learning and AI to those to improve the quality of decision making, mm-hmm. to improve the accuracy of things like bids, right? Um, I I see in five years that that is the norm. That is no longer, you know, an innovative move on the bleeding edge for a business, but that every business is using, you know, machine learning and AI to make better decisions in their mm-hmm. business. Um, I see micro credentials very quickly yep. outpacing um, traditional education pipelines, which still have their place and are still very important, but are not always accessible to everyone, yep. right? Um, so I see micro credentials democratizing the workforce and economic opportunities for high wage tech careers. Hopefully, see teams that are doing incredible, exciting bleeding edge work just as they are today. Um, and we have a presence in Columbia and Tampa and Austin. Um, we've got some in Toronto. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that expand even further mm-hmm. and to tap into clients and businesses mm-hmm. all over the world. Very ambitious. On the women in tech and entrepreneurship front, I see us having our foundations launched. So I, I guess I let the cat out of the bag a little too early in the show, but well, it's going to be a month <laughs> when it airs. So I I don't think so. <laughs> um, the so the the three to five year goal is for us to have really well funded foundations to help seed micro credentials um, for women to help seed that friends and family round for women. So I envision those being launched and I envision us getting a really great scalable model where any woman in any community can pick up the banner and say, we need this here um, globally. 
mm-hmm. uh, because community is incredibly important to being successful, whether that is as a technology executive or as the founder of a business or an entrepreneur. You need a mm-hmm. good community. You need strong social capital. You need access to people who share your values yep. and want to support you. So that's that's where I see us in yeah. 2030. That sounds like a, it's going to happen too. I mean, I everything for your faster. organization is moving super fast. All of all of my estimates have been off by about 50%. It's all happened mm-hmm. about 50% faster than I thought it would. Mm-hmm. That's a good sign. Really good sign. So what are your thoughts? Um, robots, AI, augmented reality, virtual reality. You can make yourself be the expert in whatever you want to fo- focus on. It could uh, be all of them. I'm not arrogant enough to pretend to be an expert in any particular okay. thing. I'm a great generalist. Um, you know, my partner and I were re-watching um, iRobot, the Will Smith movie the <laughs> yes, other day. Everybody's talking about it again. <laughs> I have not watched it. I'm going to have to go back and go watch it. You'll have to. So the thing that we laughed about was that Um, there is a very particular scene where they show the guy checking out for like a a couple of beers and it's, Mm -hmm. you know, $40 for two rounds of, of drinks. And we're there costs are about that high now today. But the difference is that in iRobot, nearly every household had their own personal robot, uh, made butler attending to all of their needs. Right. We're not there yet. And I don't see us there in 2030 either. But what I do see, AI is pervasive to everything, Uh right? It is going to change the way that we do marketing. It is going to change the way that people do business operations. Um, It is, I hope, going to improve not just our overall productivity, but also our quality of life. I think what we've seen up to this point is that technology has allowed us to do more and more work and be more and more accessible and available. Um, whereas what our you know, early predictions were is that we would be down to like a 10-hour work week by now. Right. That hasn't happened. So I'm I'm still optimistic that we'll see that. But I also see, you know, on the flip side of that, we we have more data vulnerability than ever before, right? Um, people are not in control of their information right now today. And I see that only getting worse in 2030 when we talk about the application of AI to things like voice and replicating Mm -hmm. voice. Mm -hmm. Um, I predict that the sophistication of scam calls, robocalls, is going to hit new heights. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there are people out there who will say, well, then just don't let your voice be recorded anywhere. For people who are involved in the community, that is not an option. Mm -mm. And we don't want people who are security-minded and conscious to find that they are excluded from the community, right? Mm -hmm. We want everyone to be able to participate and contribute Um, so whether that is running for office, whether that is being an executive, there comes a time where you have to put your voice and face out there. And Mm -hmm. so I have concerns about data security, data privacy, um, in, in a very big and salient way and, and the accuracy of things like AI for facial recognition. Mm -hmm. So, uh, a member of our community, 
and a, a really wonderful journalist um, with a budding media business, Lisa Sparks, mm-hmm. writes a really great um, newsletter on this. And she looks at the intersection of technology, race, um, class, and gender. Some of her reporting is it's just outright fearful. Um, we she's she's good at having a very balanced hand, but we hear things like you know pregnant women being arrested, detained, left on a, a bench in a detention cell for one or two days without water or food for a crime that they didn't commit, that they don't match the description for, um, that they weren't even in the same location, I think, or state of, but AI picked them up as a match somehow. Mm -hmm. So there there are some serious concerns there with the accuracy of that and the potential impact that we need to address and and quickly. There's a movie on Netflix and it's called Unconscious Bias. And it specifically discusses the um, use of AI and facial recognition. And it does okay with being able to identify white people very clearly. But when it comes to people of color, it's just like everybody looks the same. And I may or may not have said this, but that was about a black woman. And there are lots of other examples there. um, She also has good timelines of black women executives in different large tech firms facing resistance to bringing up some of these issues um, and and in some cases outright termination. Mm-hmm. I don't want to miscite anything. So I encourage anyone who's interested to go look up Lisa's work on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but these are huge and pressing real concerns um, that have real impact for real people. It's just essential that we address those things as soon as possible. While I see huge positive impact of of AI for all kinds of business applications, that's a real challenge. Um, less urgent or less dire, but you know, in my own anecdotal experience, I've been playing with AI image generation um, for stock images. Um, if you want to talk about a space with some bias, stock images is, is definitely one of those spaces yep. that can be very hard to find good uh, representative material. And so the AI produced a, a fairly good image of a woman professional in a particular space that might work for our women in tech and entrepreneurship branding. Um but I, you know, at the time, as I was thinking about my brand palette and colors, I thought I wanted to go, you know, a darker, more neon kind of techy, poppy vibe. Mm-hmm. And um, I asked the AI to make that kind of change in the background to darken the colors down a little bit. And uh, instead, it just gave her bigger cleavage. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Outrageous and so weird. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, so I, I'm not sure how it got, you know, darken the colors in the background <laughs> and, and turn that into making cleavage where there wasn't cleavage before, but that's a serious programming issue. <laughs> it's, yeah. It, it's almost laughable. It's so outrageous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that is, that is crazy. So with the discussion about AI, one of the things that I, I purposely go and try and break it. And I want to see, like, how many parameters can I put in there before it just, like, cracks? And then I've asked to do some things. Because the use of AI, I know that I work with a lot of um, students, non-traditional students as well as, you know, traditional age. 
And I would always say, hey, I want you to go and use AI. You need to be using it. You need to be able to figure it out and understand. So I worked with these high school kids for the summer on social content for five weeks. And they both spoke Spanish. It was not their, that is their first language. They were using it. And I said, but this, you don't talk this way. You know, it, it was writing probably at like, I don't know, probably a college level because of the vocabulary. And I said, you need it to sound like you. You really, really do. They didn't want it. One, she was very, very good at it, but she did not want to do that. She thinks it made it sound better. Yes and no. So you can ask AI chat to uh, break it down and write in an eighth grade level. So I had it write the first one, which was, you know, college level. And then it wrote in eighth grade. And then I said, write like a five-year-old. And the five-year-old is the one language that you know, made it easy for anybody to understand. Yeah. So there's, um, there's a lot of merit in being able to explain things simply and make yeah. it accessible. Right. Um, and I often think it's overlooked and I, I do use chat GPT for copy for, you know, some of the repetitive things that we mm -hmm. do at women in tech and entrepreneurship. And Oftentimes I find it uses really a lot of hyperbole and, yeah. you know, very flowery words, very flowery words like this does not resonate, right? We're burying the lead. Mm -hmm. um, another interesting thing, if you like, you know, cognitive psychology and mm -hmm. neuroscience and things like that. Um, I remember a few years ago now, maybe I was listening to this really interesting coverage of how you know, there are um, fashions and trends in literature, right? Yeah. And so we've moved from like the Herman Melville, Moby Dick, super long novel to these really, really short stories and the cognitive impacts of that and what it does to attention and to someone's ability to work through, um, you know, complex plot lines and retain large volumes of information from the beginning of a story to the end and right. tying back those early details, right? Well, now... We're having ChatGPT write for us. Writing is a cognitive skill with neural paths, and right. neural paths that are unused um, go away over atrophy. time. They atrophy, right? So I think it's important that we're learning how to use these tools. But if we're so reliant on these tools, we lose that skill of writing. What else are we losing with it? Mm -hmm. Um so I, I think that's something that's interesting to keep in mind. So for those of you who are avidly using it, oftentimes it takes a good writer to recognize really good copy, mm -hmm. let's say. But you know what, though? I read this article that said that students had, they had the same assignment. So they used chat to do it. Chat produced the same essay. So instead of being plagiarism, like they didn't copy off of each other, but chat, because it had the same assignment, made three out of 30 students turn in the same thing. Ugh. And so they spent no effort in customizing it or doing research to ensure yeah. that it was truly going to be a thought out and researched, um, enhanced article. They just went the easy route. And I went, yeah, what I think that chat will become is more of, um, going to be where people have to do research. So it should be helping you refine your research skills and ensuring that you put citations in there. I've asked it for citations. It doesn't do a very good job. And I've even asked it to do it like an APA format. I used to teach that and I went, this is not APA format. Yeah, it needs so, some work. Yeah, it would need some work, but it will get better. 
It know. will. It yeah. really will. And so, you know, anecdotally, I, uh, in our Women in Tech and Entrepreneurship newsletter, I put together a list of resources that are based around a theme, uh, whether it's finance or getting on a paid board, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I will ask ChatGPT because I, I know of the resources in my immediate network, but there might be other more resources that I should consider. So oftentimes ask ChatGPT to give me a list of resources related to a subject and about 50% of them are real resources. (laughs) Another fun thing that you can do with ChatGPT, and it may have gotten better now, um, you should ask it to write a bio. I'm all over the internet um, and I chose a few other people I know who are all over the internet. And this is back when it was still plugged into Bing. I think they've turned that off for now. But I asked it to write bios for about four of us um, that have enough online that you should be able to take right. a stab at it. All four of us became AI founders, which I thought was just so interesting and kind of cute that AI itself is a little bit egocentric in that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but the you know the foundations of the bios, the bones in there, you could definitely customize them and and make them work quite well. Um, it, it did give you a really good format to work off of, um, but it just, it totally fabricated the information. So, you know, it, it should be used, as you said, as a tool yeah. um, that you put your own input into as well. There was this uh, article that came through my um, email here and it said, here, you can sign up for this course. You can become an AI expert and you take two master classes for free Oh, <laughs> and you be now get a certificate to be an AI expert. Just two, just two classes, <laughs> just wow, two master classes now. Yeah, okay. apparently. So sign up now and you can become an AI expert. And I went, I, I think it's a little bit more than that. They're probably <laughs> over promising. I think if that was true, we probably wouldn't have clients uh, coming to us at RevStar asking us how to implement this into their business. Practice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so much so. So I feel like, yes, it's, it's just like when we first, uh, when you look at the industrial ages, right? And you see the progression of historical events and anything that's happening in the world technology as it advances. We start with, well, there was hieroglyphics and, you know, they were in Egypt and all of this and you can go further back. And then you get to a place where we're moving fast. Uh, Printing press. Okay, so now we have books, right? But there's good information. There's still bad information in all of these things. There's a bias. And then we move to, we've got the internet and we're going, okay, so that's like, it's on the internet. It must be true. But not everything on the internet is true. Not everything in books is true. Not everything on those tablets was true. And so now we're over here with chat. Not everything on chat is true. It takes the good information that is in all of Google, all of Bing, all of everything. And it just pulls it in there and says, here you go. You have to fact check this information. We all do. We have a responsibility to fact check it and make sure it's accurate. And that's a skill that I I think needs to be incorporated. Yes. And so, you know, I missed this earlier, but I'm glad you brought this up because something that I'm very optimistic and bullish on for 2030 and tech and beyond is that there, you know, just as we recently added financial literacy mm-hmm. to high school curriculums, there's now talk of mandatory computer science. Yep. And I think that that is um, a very belated move. I think it's a really important move 
it can't happen soon enough. And I think it's going to transform opportunities for a lot of young people, Mm -hmm. but also for our, our businesses. We need this tech talent. And if kids don't know that this is accessible and available to them, um, they're, they don't pursue the career, right? It's so, like learning a language. It can take, it's delayed and it can, it can seriously harm you. It, it can. Um, but it's also, you know, we are still, when we pull and research with kids what they want to do, they're still naming the same five things as in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's accountant, lawyer, doctor, yeah. right? Um, there's just not necessarily an awareness of that age of all the opportunities that are available. So while we kind of watch that legislation and see what happens there, we're really hopeful that we'll see that implemented in curriculums, um, or at least I'm very hopeful that we'll see that implemented. There are a lot of really good organizations doing work in that space, like Girls Who Code, um, tech sassy girls, mm-hmm. um, the robotics clubs, uh, first, yes, first robotics. Um, you have uh, Connect at 360, uh, doing entrepreneurial skills and high school kids. They spend a whole year building a business. Uh, you've got Think Big for Kids creating mm-hmm. all this awareness. So, a lot of really good programs that uh, junior achievement that you can lend your support to. Yeah, they're all really, really good things for sure. What is the best mentoring advice that you want to share with our our listeners? Uh, So my favorite piece of advice um, came to me a very long time ago, and it was that I should not just have a mentor, but I should have a board of directors for myself. Um, So you need mentors who are outside of your industry. You need sponsors within your business. So for those of you who aren't familiar, a sponsor is a mentor who can advocate for you within the employer that you work for. Um, you you have a multifaceted life, right? Mm-hmm. And each mentor can address a number of things that you might be working on, but you never want to isolate, right? You want mm-hmm. to kind of take on a wide variety of They should not look like you. They shouldn't look like you. They, they should, should look challenge like way the different. way that you yeah. think about things. Um, and a good mentor sometimes might make you a little bit mad at first. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I'd say for me, it's the board of directors. And I continue to have a, a number of mentors who've been hugely impactful in my life. Mm-hmm. I like it because it's being an advocate, but also, you know, keeping you accountable. Yeah, that's really good. So how can people find you and how can they find women in tech and entrepreneurship? I am on LinkedIn and that's probably the best way to find me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then women in tech and entrepreneurship also very active on LinkedIn. Our website is under construction right now as we speak. We're um, technically less than a year old from our public launch, and we're working uh, with a wonderful volunteer to get this website up and running. So I'm hoping by the time that this podcast is live, the website will be out in the in the wild. Um, but LinkedIn is is probably the answer for both for right now. All right. That sounds great. Well, Rachel, I want to tell you it's been delightful having you as a guest. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me on. This was so fun. Oh, I my pleasure. And I look forward to 
know, I'm trying to get all of my shows like locked down by the end of next week. I'll be able to come to some events probably in November and December. <laughs> okay. Wonderful. Yeah. Our mm-hmm. holiday party in Orlando is I think December 3rd or 5th. Okay. Um, so we hope to see you at that. It'll be fun. Oh, I can make that one. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you to our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and thank you to our video team, Gabe Laporte, Tommy Myers, Andrew Pagat, and Julissa Hurtado. Music is by Charles Lawrence Light. Visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusive culture while skilling your people for the future of work. Thank you for supporting The Intern Whisperer by subscribing to us on Podbean, our Employers for Change YouTube channel, or streaming from your favorite podcast channel.